Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are back for another exciting discussion of Tottenham Hotspur. Before we get into Tottenham's thrilling 1-0 victory against Wolves, uh, just a quick reminder to follow our Twitter account, WDR Podcast, that's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio, and also leave us a nice five-star review on iTunes because I think we're... We're very good boys who deserve your acclaim. So, on that note, it is time to move into another thrilling discussion of Tottenham Hotspur. I am joined, as always, by my two faithful co-hosts this week, Brian Ashlock from the wilds of Miami. I presume that you are recording this podcast on the back of an alligator and high on cocaine. I I don't know, escaping from Cuba. What's a good stereotype I could pair with that, Brian? No, I think you did most of them. Okay, Uh, good. Cuban coffee... Um, I don't know. Um, you didn't mention, you know, complete or partial nudity, um, which also would have been an important Florida stereotype. Is, is Dewey Crow um, too much of a deep cut for for our listeners? Probably not. I think okay. the people that listen to all this show would specifically know who that is. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you hit most of the highlights. <laughs> and coming to us from the not so wilds of Georgia, uh. Presumably vaccinated, unlike his uh, fellow citizens in Georgia, is uh, Ben Daniels. Ben, how, how are you doing this week? I'm fine. I'm just a little upset that I don't have the same kind of bevy of stereotypes leveled against me that Brian has. I think you need to do your homework. Well, if you had a sister, I'd have something to work with here, Ben. But alas. I mean, look, that that's that's a universal. You've seen Giovanni Lo Celso. You've seen Neymar. This <laughs> That's the whole global south, not just the deep south. Is is the Brazilian national team actually from uh, northern Georgia? Is that what's going on? Hey, we might need to look into that. <laughs> well, we'll have to put that one off for a future, maybe the international break. Because today we have a sturdy win against Wol- Wolverhampton Wanderers to talk about. Uh, this was... Um, weird game I, I think to say it was it was one nil and it was both a rear guard action and I think not quite as terrifying as some of our rear guard actions were last year I'm not sure if that had more to do with us or them uh, Brian I, I want to let, let's just get, let's start at 50,000 foot level and slowly drill in uh because those metaphors work well together uh, was this a good or bad performance from Tottenham Hotspur uh, it's fine. Um, it wasn't like it. In terms of execution of a game plan, it was good. <laughs> uh, um, but in terms of like actual football, it was not. So I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure how you want me to answer that question. Like, like. Was this more exciting than a Jose Mourinho coach football match? Eh, maybe. Um, was it? Was it? You know, 
as ex- as did I feel as good about the performance as I did after last week against Manchester City? No, definitely not. Um, but there's another one, no victory. We had another clean sheet, um, and um, we're still unbeaten this year. Ben, uh, did this game force you to give up your fandom for Tottenham Hotspur or merely uh, football in general? We're unbeaten in the league. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot that I was going to the bastion of optimism on our podcast. I'm I'm sorry about that, Ben. So, you know, we have a 66% win percentage. uh, Still still impressive enough for Tim Sherwood. Uh, Yeah, I thought it was a bad performance uh, (laughs) from Tottenham. But a very good result. I'll take the three points. Um, You know, it's one of those games that you score that early penalty and you don't need to do a lot to see it out. But I guess I just, given the way we played against Man City, I was not expecting us to be so happy to walk away with a one nil victory. Um, You know, against City, it felt like we were continuing to pick our spots to counter and still creating opportunities for ourselves. Whereas in this game, uh, I mean, once we went ahead until we made subs and Lo Celso and Kane came on. We didn't do anything. Like it, we didn't do anything. Um, and that was not ideal. You know, I thought Wolves ran over us. Adama Traore made a lot of our players look like the children that they are. Um, luckily he is not very good at doing anything other than running really fast in a straight line, really strong. Um, and receiving and the ball to be fair. He's good at receiving the ball, but other than those two things, great linebacker um but he doesn't you know really do a lot at the end of his runs and i think we were pretty fortunate that they weren't able to link up better um in the final third once he got there because i mean we all saw he gave a ran the team ragged and gave us a terrible terrible day um like brian said it wasn't ultimately that threatening but they still created a decent number of good chances. They had 25 shots. Um, You know, a lot of them were very bad shots, but it's still, it's more shots than you want to be conceding because shit happens and shit didn't happen that day. And so I'll take the three points and move on. But I, I would like to see us look a little better organized and a little better drilled. Well, it's, it's funny with wolves. I'm sure we all remember, because I'm sure we were all traumatized by it at the time. I think a couple of years ago, I think the, Right before the Champions League final um, that we played Liverpool in, we played Liverpool in the league. And in the middle of that game, uh, Van Dyke got was one-on-one with Sissoko on a, on a sort of going to the goal. And when it was clear that it was just Sissoko and it was no one to pass to, Van Dyke just sort of let him go and like, all right, do your worst. Like, you know, because he knew that Sissoko wasn't going to be able to do anything with it. I feel like Wolves as an entire team were like that and Triori specifically where it's just like, all right, do whatever you want. We know you can't hit the. We know we know you're not going to put it on target. I feel like Ben, you mentioned 25 shots, and I don't think this was largely a product of our tactics. I mean, I don't want to sell us too short, but I feel like this has more to do with wolves than us. I don't. Fe- I feel like of those 25 shots, there were three that felt really threatening or something like that, and one of those was on target. It was not. Wolves was not making the most of the sort of possession dominance it felt like they were having. And unlike, I, I think like I think the City game is a good counterpoint where I think we did a lot to frustrate City. And 
a lot of the reason City couldn't get it going in that game was things we were doing. And there was some of that in this game, but definitely I think we were the beneficiaries of Wolves' just inability to put it together in the final third. And I think once you drill down from those 25 shots, it was like they had 25 shots. Most of them were from distance. Ten of them we blocked. Six of them were on target. So, like, you know, and like you said, of those six, like only a couple of them were, like, particularly threatening. So, yes, like they weren't creating a lot of really high-quality chances, but they created a lot of chances. And sometimes you get lucky and you score – you know, a Manuel Lanzini 30-yarder in the 90th minute, and, like, that's ball game. And you might disagree with me. I don't want to defend this entire performance, but I do think that we weren't as bad as some of it was, as pinned back as we were. It still, to me, didn't feel like, at least for most of the game, like those Jose Mourinho performances where we're just stacking dudes in front of the goal and hoping for the best. Like, like I feel like our defenders, the, the mid-block wasn't working great, but at least we weren't entirely doing what we did last year. I mean, I think. Go ahead, Brian. Well, I was just gonna say, I th- I thought that this match actually felt a little more perilous than the city match, just because I felt like the pace that Wolves attacked at and and the areas that they were getting into felt more dangerous than a lot of the stuff that City did. And I mean, City, you know, didn't really have a shot on target until the seventy fourth minute, and so. You know, you can look at the number of shots that Wolves had, and like you said, the location of the shots, a lot of them are long, a lot of them got blocked. Yes, I understand all that. But just, like, the nature of the attacks and the amount of possession that Wolves had, where it was actual progressive possession, whereas I felt like a lot of City's possession the, the week before was recycling the ball, resetting um, and and allowing Spurs to get set back into that very narrow four three three, I felt like we were kind of all over the place in terms of in terms of uh, defending against Wolves because they weren't allowing us that time to get back and get set into oh. into our shape, and so so that's why I felt like this match was worse because not necessarily that Wolves got better chances or that they seemed more likely to score a goal. But just the way that they were attacking put us more on edge. I didn't feel like they had any more likelihood to finish any of those chances because, like you said, Greg, they're they're wolves, and like I, I don't have a lot of faith that m- many of those guys outside of Jimenez can hit the broadside of a barn. And yeah, it just it 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 was much more concerning that kind of sixty minutes after the goal where we just did nothing. You're like, ah, something's gonna happen here. Yeah, I think, I mean, Adama particularly, but, I mean, Marshall, Semedo, like, a lot of their guys who just ran at us very directly and pulled us out of shape. And I think we talked about after the City game, one of the most exciting things about it was how well we were drilled into those three banks of 4-3-3 and defended as a team. And this was not that. We were dragged all over the pitch. You know, they were coming at us very quickly. You know, there's that one chance when Adama got totally free behind the back line and one-on-one with with Hugo and you know that you flip a coin there and it's gonna come up for Adama more times than it doesn't is it is it all right but for a a normal person in that position um you know he had a lot of time and a lot of Hugo played it Hugo played it very well to be fair like that those are the kinds of chances we were giving up where like that was what we were threatening to give up a lot of time. And we didn't, except for that one time, but, like, it felt like we could have. 
And I think the other flip side of that is we were just much worse at then taking those defensive opportunities where we'd block a shot or whatever and then transitioning it into attack. Wolves were able to press us pretty quickly and disrupt our ability to go down the pitch. And so that when they came back at us, they were coming back at us, you know, playing half court, not having the full length of the field to pass the ball around while we, you know, could recover. Um, they counterpressed us really, really well. well. I think there's two ways to sort of look at this performance. Like, on the one hand, I think Spurs didn't take Wolves as seriously as we should have. I think I think that we did sort of the same thing City did with us last week. I thought we, we thought, it seemed to me like we thought we could get away with more against them than we could. Now, maybe that is something to do with Sun wasn't entirely fit, and maybe a fit Sun changes the way this game goes a little bit. Because aside from... I feel like he had one or two sort of really good offensive actions, and other than that, I thought other than that, I thought he was pretty quiet all day. And the other thing is, I mean, to be fair, I, I think some of it was the personnel out on the field. Now, I still don't think that's an excuse because I think even with the personnel we rolled out there, we should be able to beat Wolves, or at least play them more even than this, if not beat them comfortably. Because I, I do think there's something worth pointing out of. I think away games in the Premier League are going to be a challenge this year in a way they haven't been in a while because I do think that's a that's going to be a strange experience, at least at the beginning of the season. And I think Spurs do deserve some credit, even if it's only by happenstance, for holding on and winning this. You know, Justin, not like hostile yeah. fans. Exactly, exactly. Just like going to away grounds and having hostile I mean, you know, they, like Wolves fans were giving it to Spurs fans. I mean, we'll talk about it more when, Harry Kane, when we get to Harry Kane. But, like, you know, fans chanting at you, mocking you, doing all this other stuff. That's different. And I, as much as I sort of dismiss that stuff back when that was common practice like I do think there is something to that this year not a lot of away teams are in the Premier League this year and I don't think that's a coincidence but at the same time there is an element of like I think some of the personnel you'd like to see for Spurs out there putting aside in Dombele who I do think will I think we're not going to sell him we'll get reintegrated after the transfer window is over but putting him aside because let's assume he's gone you know I think we looked better when LaCelso came on I think and obviously he wasn't on for a lot of the City match, but I do think he's going to get integrated probably at the expense of Skip. Um, but maybe Horbjerg, I don't know. I think Skip's going to be, I think Lo Celso rather is going to be a starter probably after the international break because I think they're managing fitness right now. And I think that's smart because that's been a huge problem for Lo Celso since he's been here. And frankly, we've been crying out for a manager that takes fitness a little more seriously for the last few, I mean, going back to Pochettino. So... You know, I think that's good. I think the fact that we've sort of gotten away with it for two weeks and two relatively tough games has been good. But, you know, I do think that if you put a real striker on, whether that's Harry Kane or, you know, whoever the hell we buy in a few weeks, um, I think that changes the way this game looks. I think if you have a real um, midfield or at least something approximating a midfield that can pass the ball, I think Wolves can't press us quite as easily. So there is a element of personnel that I think changes the way we play, but you're right. I think we got caught with our pants down against Bulls, and that's, you know, as good as we felt, we felt about Nuno last week, I don't think this is negates all that, but it is a little concerning. Although, again, second game, doesn't have a settled roster, you know. Well, I think for me the concerning part of it is is the midfield. Well, it is the midfield, but it's also just like the team as a whole and what is our structure in possession. Like this match, you really saw that e even if we gain possession deep, like in our back line, 
like there's not a strategy for working the ball forward and progressing up the pitch. Like even under Jose, even if that strategy was Toby kicks a long diagonal and we hope that that works. That was, was our best. That was our best. Probably one of our best chances of the match was I think it was Sanchez who hit uh, Bergvine over the top. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and Hugo had some nice passes over the top, but it was just, you know, it was very frustrating to be playing with two, you know, nominally holding midfielders in Hoiberg and Skip, and to have the back line have such difficulties in either getting them the ball or whether that was related to the back line's passing deficiencies or the failure of those two guys to show adequately for the ball. Um, and then to not be able to get either fullback really involved or to get the ball to Deli Alley or Lucas, who we kind of want as our outlet in the attacking band. Like it, it, it was just a very weirdly disjointed, like, plan for ball progression and and i think one of the problems that that a lot of people in talking about this game specifically have hit on is you know there just isn't enough ball progression in the mid that midfield three that we've been running out for most of the preseason and um and the, these early matches of the season and and you know, to expect that to come from Hoiberg when that's never really been his game, or to expect that from Deli Alley, who's spent you know most of the last three or four years as as you know more of a second striker, number ten type of player, uh, is is weird. And then you know to expect it of Skip, who was good in the championship last year, but to expect him to do this against the in the Premier League is is a bit much, and. It's, frustrating when you have two players who are very good at ball progression just hanging around the team and and, and we can talk about are we managing LaCelso's minutes coming off the back of an international tournament is that what's happening we get to or you know is he just out of favor does Nuno not like him I don't know I I tend to agree with you Greg that it is just the minutes management but then there's the whole Ndombele thing, and I don't want us to get bogged down in that again, but it's just like we have midfielders that can pass, that can progress the ball, you know, on the dribble, and we're choosing to play none of them. And then, you know, we're surprised when we get kind of like bogged down and are unable to hold on to the possession or move the ball from, you know, our defensive third into the attacking third. Like, it, it's frustrating because we have the tools available to do it. And we were told that Nuno would, you know, take the shackles off of some of these tools or at the very least use the correct tools for the right job. And then well, I think if, yeah. if you're going to be encouraged by Nuno, I think, you know, even with the Indombele situation, it's, you know, I mean, there's no one else he's really playing games with on the roster. I mean, there's Kane, but I think that we all know that's a little different, but you know, it seems like for the most part, no one else is in the doghouse. Everyone else is getting a shot. I mean, Doherty might be in the doghouse, but I don't think any of us care about that. You know, he's not randomly sitting guys from what we can see. And, you know, whether we like it or not, if Ndombele wants out, and they, you know, I think the question about him not being involved with the team when Harry Kane is, obviously that has more to do with sort of the club strong-arming Kane. And it might be, Ndombele might be closer to a sale than we think he is. And, I mean, that, that would suck, but, you know, if we're about to sell him to Bayern Munich, then... It makes a lot more sense that he's not in the team. Um, I would still like to see him in the team, but 
yeah, again, let's, I don't think it's worth rehashing that until we sort of know how it's going to shake out. I, well, go ahead, Ben. You know, uh, it doesn't, isn't worth belaboring either, but like Joe Roden is also kind of mysteriously vanished a little bit. Um, you know, we have our center backs are playing decently well. We have Christian Romero, like it might not be the end of the world, but it's an odd one as well. I think though, you know, Brian talked a lot about like the way we move the ball and, you know, you can point it to personnel and say, yes, if we had Los Celso and Adambole in, they would move the ball differently than these guys. But I'm not convinced that that's what Nuno wants us to be doing. And that is where I'm a little concerned. Like, if you look at the way we passed the ball um, against Wolves, it was a very, very flat. Like, most of our passing was between the center backs to. Hoiberg, Hoiberg to Skip, Hoiberg to Tanganga, Skip to Delhi, you know, Regulon to Delhi. It was like that midfield, the fullbacks in the midfield three were just kind of moving the ball laterally across the pitch to each other and then sometimes able to find Bergvine or Lucas down the flanks and then that's how we move the ball. And that's how we move the ball largely against Man City. And you could say to yourself, well, it's Man City – you know, they're attacking in a certain way. We're, we're free on those flanks. This is where the opportunities are going to come. But, again, to see us do it again against Wolves is concerning. And I think it is really, really not just a, a circumstantial thing or a happenstance. I think that's how Nuno wants us to play. And that's how he played a lot at Wolves. He relied on guys like Adama Traore, Pedro Neto, Daniel Podence, Diego Jota, guys who were quick in the channels, who would run the ball, and that is how he liked to move up the pitch. And you'd think when he has better passers like Los Elso in the team who can make those vertical passes in central areas, who can carry the ball in central areas and make you know good combinations through the middle of the field, um, we might start doing that. And that is definitely the hope. But if it's not, I'm, I'm worried. Of, of all the people on the pitch um, – Deli Alley is the only person who managed to pass to Sun at least three times. Um, and, you know, again, maybe that fixes itself when we have a real striker who's a little bit better at hold-up play, being more of like a kind of forward pivot for the ball to come up to and then shift wide again. But he was just completely stranded out there. And, you know, his own fitness is probably part of that. But, like, we just were not moving the ball through the it's, middle of the pitch at all. It's so frustrating in, in terms of it's hard to know what to read into it. Cause you're right, Ben, there are a lot of things here that we've seen him do with other teams at the same time. There's a lot, like we talked about, there's a lot of guys out. This is the second game. He's been in charge with a lot of roster turnover, or at least uncertainty. It's a way it's a, it's a way in a weird season to play away games. I do think we're going to get some clarity when we see us play Watford this weekend. Cause I mean, if we're doing this against Watford, then that tells us something. But again, even then, like, Celso, we know Lacelso and Romero won't be involved against Watford because of like isolation protocols, but you know it's going to be what it's going to be, and I and part of the frustration is trying to divine what we're going to see. But it wasn't it wasn't a great performance, and it's hard for me at least because I see some of the tactical stuff we're talking about, but I also think on top of all of that, we just look flat. Like I mean, in terms of like, and maybe that's a product of tactics, but the guys just didn't look as sharp as they could have. And I don't know if that's because the tactics were bad. I don't know if that's because 
it's wolves and not city, and maybe it's a little harder to get yourself up for that. I don't know. Well, but. And the other thing that I thought about, and I don't know that I've seen this anywhere, is, you know, this is Nuno's former club. So did he and did we as a team treat them with a little more respect than maybe they deserve? I would have and said so the other like, way around. Nuno, I don't think we took no, this but, as seriously as we should have. No, but I think Nuno, it, you know, look, if you're if you're coming from a club that, you know, you you know, you have a certain affection for, are you telling the team like, "Oh, look, these guys are good players, you know, we need to respect, you know, Adama and we need to be wary of this and you know, Ruben Neves is a really good passer, and so is Moutinho. We need to do these things. Or, you know, in the same way that you would with any other team where you're like, look, man, this guy can't defend, and we just got to get in behind him. Like, you know, like I, I – but so I have that question. Like, did we treat them with too much respect because of Nuno's relationship? I have no, like, actual reason other than, like, my gut tells me that's what happened. I don't. Nobody said gave any quotes that said told me that. There's no reporting that supports that. That's just my like internal me feeling about it. And I think that kind of you can see that on the pitch. I mean, like the flip side of that is like if there's one team that Nuno should have like the briefing book on and know backwards and forwards, it should be Wolves. Be like, here is everything that is bad about this team. We were terrible last year, guys. Take it from me. Here is exactly how to beat them. You know, I, I don't know. I guess I would have seen like to see a little more opponent specific kind of preparation in a way that we did have for Man City. And I, I thought we marshaled them into areas where they were not dangerous and attacked them in areas where they were vulnerable. Like it was a very composed and deliberate performance against Man City that this was this was very haphazard. And I don't know what, what product of his former relationship with Wolves, you know, um, deals with that. We need to get uh, Dr. Sharon in here and psychoanalyze it. But Well, the other thing we have to remember is uh, we did have like a month to prepare for City. And like I know that we knew that the Wolves match was the next match on the fixture list, but like when you're preparing in the preseason, you're not preparing for this match number two. You're preparing for, guys, we have the champions on the first day of the season in our, in our brand new stadium with fans in the stadium, and this is how we're going to make sure that we don't embarrass ourselves. Look, I, I, I get it. I, I would put a lot more energy into ruining Charlie King's day as well, but you still, like, there's still, there's three points are the same points. So, uh, I, 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 we're going to come back to a Wolves player I want to discuss in a little bit in our transfer section, but I do want to talk a little bit about our performance, and I think there were positives, and I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't focus a little bit on them. I want to start first and foremost at Steven Bergvine, who I think for the second week in a row had a fairly bright performance. And I've seen a lot of people complimenting Nuno's work with him, and I don't want to diminish anything Nuno's doing, but I wonder if this is like the work the manager's doing or the fact that the manager's letting him actually attack and not be a right wing back for the entire match. But I think he's been, I mean, both matches, I think he's looked very encouraging, very threatening. I feel pretty good with him on the pitch right now. I mean, he had a hell of a shot that I thought the Wolves keeper was lucky, not only lucky to save, was lucky that the rebound didn't get hit in the net. I I, I thought he was a good counterattacker. I don't know. I was very impressed with Bergwijn, considering what he had to work with on on uh, on Sunday. Uh, ben, what, what what are your thoughts on Big Steve these days? Yeah, I I am very increasingly excited about old Steve. Um, you know, I thought Lucas was kind of like the more standout uh, of the two against Man City. He was 
you know, carried the ball great distances, made a lot of incisive runs, um, while Bergbaum was more of like the, you know, passing outlet and received the ball better and, you know, maybe like helped us maintain possession in the final third a little better. This was, I thought Lucas was basically a non-entity against Wolves. Um, whereas Bergvine did the bulk of our, our ball progression, the bulk of moving the ball into the final third, creating opportunities. Um, and like, if he had done nothing else, his one highlight of getting pinned oh, yeah. into the touchline is around him and then doing this little pull back and flick and then just coasting up the wing to set up Harry Kane for easily the best chance of the match um, was just spectacular. And I think, I've watched that clip like 400 times because it keeps going around Twitter. And every time I just like stop and, and watch it for a little bit. And, you know, the, to play amateur sports psychologist, the the confidence he exhibits in that move, like the audacity involved in it is just not the kind of Steve we've seen for a year. He didn't, he hasn't felt like he has that, that belief in himself to try things like that. He's just played very, very reserved for so long. He seems to have like be withdrawn on the pitch and doesn't have like the spark that we remember seeing from his first performance, you know, when we first signed him and, you know, scored a wonder goal against Man City. Like I want to see that Bergvine come back. Cause I like, you see what he did before he got to Spurs and like, it was there and like, we're seeing it now in flashes. And I, just hope he gets the opportunity to grow into that um, because, yeah, uh, I'm very excited about what he could be. I really want to say, still I really want to. Can't go ahead, Brian. <laughs> I was just say I can't figure out how he did that piece of skill on the side. Yeah, like the the like I I've watched it like and it looks like he almost gets it stuck under his feet at the same time that the Wolves player goes to the tackle, and then all of a sudden the ball is out and around, and he's and I I. I can't figure out how he did it. And it's a, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful bit of skill. And the only like bad thing about it is that there wasn't like an, a goal or an assist at the end of it. Like that's the only unfortunate part of it. He deserved it. He had a, he had a, I thought he had a really good game. I forgot how hard he could hit the ball. I know that sounds really stupid, but like, I mean that, that shot he took, if you rewatch it, it is from a ways out and he forces a pretty good save out of the keeper. Um, if only cause he has to stop that thing from getting past him. I mean, I'm just excited to see him. Like, honestly, I want us to have a game where we're really dominating possession a little bit more and see what he can do with that, like running at teams. I mean, I know that might be counterintuitive because teams are packing it in, but I just want to see him get a little bit more of the ball because I've been really encouraged by what we've seen out of him this year. And it really sort of, in retrospect, makes me even angry about the Mourinho era because, like, just how much shit... I mean, I think we knew this intellectually, but seeing this just reminds you, like, how much... How much potential, how much time of people's careers do we waste, like, playing this bullshit defensive, you know, football that got us nothing, so. And, you know, it's really encouraging to see. And I'm glad Spurs hung on to him. I know there were rumors about him going to Ajax, but, like, I mean, he's just, this is why you keep a guy like this. Like, let's see what we can do. I don't, I don't think he's ever going to be a world beater, but he's an exciting attacker. And that's, God, that's encouraging to watch after the last two years. And I mean, he had the most expected assists of anybody on the field for Spurs. He made the most key passes. You know, the little the little bacule he has to set up Sun in that one attacking move is. I mean, you know, that's a really smart. Instead of forcing your own way into a shot, like to give it up like that, like that, 
That was a nice. That was most of our XG up to that point, or non-penalty, you know, XG up to that point. That whole attacking move where we had three shots. Um, you know, I, I, I he's great. But I want to see more of him. It was kind of overall a strange, like mirror performance from Spurs with Wolves, where Spurs, Wolves had Wolves had all this like possession and were creating all these chances, but like really none of them were very good. Meanwhile, Spurs had very limited chances, but they were all like, I mean, a lot of those chances were pretty good chances. Certainly more. I think Spurs had all the best chances in the match. If we're being honest with ourselves, with maybe the exception of that Triore shot, but you know, it's Triore taking a shot. One on one with the keeper. What do you expect? Uh, you know, we were creating really high quality chances. We just need to figure out a way to do more of that. Cause when we got down the field, I mean, Son created a few good shots. Bergvine, I mean, Delhi when he, I mean, he did an excellent job drawing that penalty. But if he didn't go down, which he should have, because that keeper cleared him out, like he would have had like an open goal with, admittedly, a bit of a tough angle. But I mean, they were creating good opportunities. It's just they weren't doing it enough. I think that overstates it a little bit. Like our only chance that was particularly good was that Kane chance was measured at about 0.3 expected goals. Total expected goals for the match, beside the penalty, was like 0.8. So, you know, we, I, I think I read that of, of the expected goal value of all the different chances, Spurs had like seven of the best 10. So they're definitely the better chances than Wolves. But these are all like, you know, 10% chances, not like, I mean, really good chances. Some of that's because Wolves' chances were awful, but. I mean, my point is, once you're getting down there, and I, you know, it's not like, because Mourinho, especially early on last season, when, I mean, his counterattacks were really fun to watch for a while. I mean, there weren't enough of them, but like, I mean, those guys would start popping the ball back and forth, and it, there was a while there where those really were fun to watch. But at least it seems like there's an attacking plan beyond, like, get it to Harry, get it to um, Son. I mean, at least other guys are getting involved. I just, I want to see it progress beyond this, and I'm willing to accept that, you know, there's, things have just not worked out in that favor for one reason or another. And it's two games into his tenure. So I don't want to like get too harsh on Nuno. It's just, you know, let's, let's build on this guys. Let's find a way to sort of mature from this. Uh, we're going to get to transfer stuff in a second, but I want to talk about skip before we move on. Oh, I want to stay positive for one second. Oh, all right. I think the thing is, is, you know, while it doesn't fit with Wheeler dealers agenda, once Harry Kane came on, it was dramatic what a difference he was able to make. You know, he was able to receive the ball between lines and hold the ball. He was able, you know, you could see the way a defense orients itself around Harry Kane on the football that we don't have from anybody else. Nobody else presents that obvious threat, either with the ball, you know, passing from his feet or as a shot threat. Like, as good as Sun is, he's just not that. And he certainly well, he's wasn't different. that against He's a Wolf. different type of striker. And... and so once we had that kind of focal point and we had a passer, like, Celso, who could kind of move the ball to him a little more directly, it I think dramatically changed how we were able to move the ball in the final third and approach their goal with a sense of menace that I think was really lacking. And so whether Kane stays or goes and gets replaced, just by having somebody who plays that role more in that way, um, I think is going to add a dimension to this attacking structure that Nuno plays, um, you know, as much as I've talked about like how similar it is to Wolves, Wolves had a Raul Jimenez up top, and we haven't had that yet um, until King came on for the last you know, 20, 30 minutes. And that is going to make a big difference um, to like why this setup is viable enough to have gotten Wolves where it did. Even though it was kind of boring, it was effective. And 
that's so, the sort of like missing ingredients here. So, so let's so, jump into this. I think I think there's no reason not to talk about Harry Kane right now. Uh, it, reporting. <laughs> so, there's plenty of reasons. Well, we're, unfortunately, guys, we do a podcast on Spurs. So uh, the reporting that's come out this week, there's been some reporting today that basically seems like that hundred million offer that City made was really seventy five million plus like you know junk, like you know autograph pictures of Laporte or whatever, you know, just like add ons and maybe we'll send you a player or two. I like how every week that Greg talks about this transfer, the player that we get signed photographs of gets worse and worse. Yeah, like there we go. Initially, it was like Aguero, and then it was Jesus, and now it's Laporte. And yeah. So it's just like, who are we going to get to at the end of the at the end? It's going to be, well, we gave you twenty million Zinchenko photos. <laughs> like, is that the worst player that we can reasonably expect an autograph photograph return from? Well, he is like going through a Benjamin Button situation because I thought a ball boy was coming on the pitch the other week when he was coming. On, but um, yeah, no, it's it's it seems like City aren't willing. Like they see they keep they seem to be fucking around with this transfer in a way that I think if you read between the lines there was a bit of. But I think what that tells me, and there's rumors that they're willing to go up to 120 or 130 now. But you know, I, I think after this reporting came out that they they haven't even offered us 100 million in straight cash. Like I am not only skeptical that Kane will get sold, I'm skeptical. City, or you know, I think we talked about this last week. It's like I don't understand why they got involved. I mean, maybe the Kane brothers are just incredibly stupid and got over their skis, but it seems like City isn't committed to even kind of doing what's necessary to get Kane out of Spurs with three years left on his contract. So I don't know about you guys, but it certainly feels more likely than not that Harry Kane is going to stay at Spurs. I mean, how does Ben, how do you feel about that? Because I, I think we've all gone through a process here of, you know, grieving or acceptance or whatever. But it, it, it seems like, it seems to me, and we're recording this on Monday night, to be clear, he's not going anywhere. I don't agree that with the clarity that you're uh, describing the situation. The I way mean, the situation looks at this moment in time, it does not seem like he is going to leave because it doesn't seem like City's going to get their act together. Maybe that'll change. But the way it looks right I mean, now is... I mean, I'd say the way it looks right now is City haven't gotten their act together. Yes, and, yes. you know, it, it would take very little for City to say, okay, $130 million. Like, it, it, money is fake to them. So, like, it's not the kind of situation where, like, if they want him bad enough, they can wait until August 30th and say, all right, fine, here's the money. Yeah, but like, City doesn't I usually don't... fuck around like that. Is is the reason that I'm skeptical. Like, I mean, they also usually don't spend 100 million on people. So, so anyway, to take your your question as it was presented, am I happy if Harry Kane stays? I mean, like, I don't know. I, maybe like. So I what was your what was your initial reaction to the fans singing? Harry Kane, he's one of our own. Because mine was like, ugh, fuck off. No, my, I thought it was pathetic. Have some self-respect. Like, de- like I'm not saying you got to boo him. Like, I booed him in a bar last year, as people can attest to. But, like, like you don't have to do that. But, like, don't fucking cheer him right now. Like, the guy lied to us. He you, doesn't want to be here. For him, but we don't have to sing that he's one yeah, of our own Yeah, I agree. Song. I'm a totally with you on Honestly, that. Honestly, when they were singing the Harry Kane, he wants to fuck off chant, I assumed it was the Spurs fans. <laughs> uh, singing that and yeah yeah i mean i'm like 
I'm certainly not like going to bat for him at the moment. Like if people are like Harry Kane wants to leave, he's a fucking mercenary. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like I agree. You know, <laughs> like uh, I, I'm just like again, if he stays, he'll score goals. It'll be good, you know, for the season. I remain concerned about not getting the cash injection in terms of like the future development of this team and the continued viability of a top four challenging title challenging project. I don't know that we're with Harry Kane good enough to make the champions League this year, given the quality of opposition and the other areas we need to strengthen. And the fact that we might not have the funds to do so without selling Kane, like we, we tried this the last, last year. It was just like clinging on to the, the same old shit and hoping, you know, everybody was ready for one last job. And I don't, I don't believe we're ready for one last job this season either. So I, whatever, I'll, I'll enjoy it when he scores 30 goals, I guess. I'm sure I will. Yeah. And I mean, I said this, uh, this week in our writer's room and, and I'm, the three of us interact with a lot of the same people in the writer's room and on Twitter. And so I can say this because most of them don't listen to this podcast. Um, but I feel like a lot of people are talking about this transfer in like a very cold, detached, like, well, if someone will give us 120 million for it. We should obviously take that. And like, while I understand that point based on age and injury record, the other thing we have to take into account is like, the striker market is shitty right now. And so, you know, we saw, for example, the, the in the Wolves game, what Spurs look like with Hung Min Sun as the focal point for the attack. So are we, you know, is that what we want to roll with for an entire season? Do we want to roll with Sun and Scarlet as our focal point for this team? Like, is that setting up, you know, uh, Nuno for failure is that you know setting us up for another season of you know Enoch out Daniel Levy doesn't back the manager da 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 because to me if you sell Kane you have to be replacing him with something even if you're not replacing Kane with a, a similarly talented player because there are so few of those you know those available but like if you are not replacing him with Lautaro with Isak. But then what are we doing? Because we've, we've talked about Vlahovic or Vlahovic, however we say his name. We've talked about him on the podcast. Like, he seems like a fine second striker, but, but he doesn't do all the Harry Kane things. Like, he's a recognized striker, but that's – is just him going to make us a better team? And – is him at the price point that Fiorentina appears to be quoting to the likes of Spurs and City and Atletico, which is like, what, 70, 80 million euro at this point? Is that worth it? I don't think it is. So if you're telling me I have to hold on to Kane this year, he does another year of Harry Kane things, and then next year we sell him for less, 75 or 65 and then maybe we turn that into a, some reasonable approximation of a good striker. I think I'd rather that. But just getting him and then rolling with what we've got or plugging it all into, you know, adding a couple more functional midfielders is less than ideal. Like, that's not what I want to do. Like, if you tell me I can I can swap, a, swap out Kane and put in Lautaro 
or put in Isak, then let's do it. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll take him to Manchester myself. Um, but I'm not interested in, in much else. And I don't think it's just that, Brian, because I don't think it's necessarily just about swapping out for a striker. What concerns me, and again, not entirely my job. This is something Paratici should be doing. You need to find... You need to get some player of exceptional talent if you're selling Kane. And that doesn't... I mean, ideally, it would be someone who can at least, like, partially fill those goal totals. But, you know, it's, like, an excellent midfielder or something. You need to get someone of like, a certain... Like uh, Adama Traore, maybe? Yeah, okay. Um, we'll get to him in a minute. But, you know, like, if you could get, like, a world-class midfield, Like, an actually world... Not in Dombley. Like, someone who has, like, proven it at, at a high level... Like, that'd be one thing. and But you really, t- Brian, you honestly turned me around when you pointed out, like, Lautaro seems like he's off the market. And I was a lot more hot to trot on getting rid of Kane when it looked like we were going to, you know, I don't think Lautaro is as good as Kane, but I think he's about as good as you could hope for replacing Kane. Maybe, like, Isaac, I think, would be also acceptable. But for whatever reason, his name doesn't seem, like, Roma got sort of, we're kicking the tires on him and we haven't heard his name since. And I'm presuming there's a reason for that. But if you're not going to find that kind of, like, elite-ish player, I think you make a good point. Like, selling Kane for the sake of selling Kane, as much as I think we're all, at least I know I am being a bit of a bitter ex, or bitter dumped ex about it. I'm not sure how smart that is, especially if City, it's not like, you know, it's not like, we, I, I think as of right now, City's not offering 120 million pounds. You know, they're, they're offering us, like, you know, less than the market price. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little less hot to try it on Kane in that environment. Uh, because, obviously, we want to look to the future. We want to build for the future. But we are a lot worse without Harry Kane. And especially if you're not getting, like, some kind of elite talent in return. Which I don't think is impossible to find on this market. But certainly the strikers that would, you would feel good about swapping Kane out for don't seem to be on the market right now. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely something to be said that the numbers don't really add up. It's like you get Lotaro and then have $50 million to play with to beef up the rest of the team. That's a good trade-off. If you're getting Vlahovic and $50 million, it's way less good. And the further away from the, that tier of striker you get, at the prices we're being quoted, it's like, yeah, I don't know that there's enough value elsewhere in the market to beef up the team enough um, to make that a good deal. However... There are guys on the market for cheap that we know of. I mean, like France right now, we're currently rating them for um, Pape Sar from Mets for like 15 million euro, which he's 18 years old. He has a very impressive profile as a ball-winning midfielder who does other stuff as well. Um, you know, like that's a great buy. There are other guys like, I mean, Camavinga is apparently available for like 35 million euros. OR is still available for like 30 million euros. Like these are excellent, excellent players who would make this team better. And like, if that's where we're going to strengthen the team at the expense of a striker and we get a reasonably good striker, like I will say do it, but we aren't really linked with these guys in anything other than like a nebulous sort of way. And well, so if we're getting not that, then here's the other thing to consider. Um, None of us have any clue of how much money Spurs have to play with. We clearly have more than we thought we did at the beginning of the summer because it seems like the Romero funds are irrespective of Kane. And, you know, we went out and got Pepe Sar. Or, uh, Sar. Is it Pepe or is it? Pape. Pape. Okay, whatever. 
we, we're getting Sar out of France for it, it could be as much as 30 million euros, but it could be like 17. We're not entirely sure yet because it hasn't been sealed as of this recording. You know, uh, the guy from Lyon is being quoted at like 30 million. It's like, I mean, I, I have no idea if we need to sell Kane to buy half these guys. Uh, I mean, we might be able to pick them up. I think you're going to see, not just from Spurs, I think you're going to see a lot of late action in the transfer window because I think teams are trying to. I think there's a lot of brinksmanship right now because of the pandemic. I don't, I guess my question, and I'm not saying this doesn't exist, there's not ways to spend that cane money, even if a guy like Valtaro is out on the market. It's just, I don't know what that player is that Kane makes, a cane sale would make, like, realistic, that might not be realistic right now. Maybe, I mean, volume might, might be what Kane makes realistic. You buy, like, three or four of them or four or five of them as opposed to one or two of them or something, but... I just, like I said, I, I guess like I, I was just dreaming on Lotaro last week in a way. And now that's gone. I'm a little more sober about the whole thing, even though I kind of don't like Harry Kane very much these days. Yeah, I mean, with the what, what Kane's, the Kane sale without then turning that money into a striker does is allows you to spend, theoretically, you know, the money to bring in Tomiyasu, um, Saar, and then, you know, two of Adame or Adley and, I don't know, somebody else. Uh, another center back. I don't know. Like, that—that that is theoretically what that money does. I don't think that's what, in actuality, that money is going to allow us to do. And that we're probably looking at only one or two more signings anyway, regardless of Kane uh, staying or not. But... Uh, I just think you have to get like something like like you sell a marketable, recognizable player and you have to replace him or not even replace him. But you have to replace that, you know, star power void in the team, I guess. And and maybe that's a narrow minded marketing focused way of looking at it. But like you need something like why do players want to come here and play? Like to play with Nuno and Son, like I don't know. Get paid a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, I think you know this is something that a friend of the pod, Joel, brought up in the writers' room is that you know all these guys are talking about are midfielders, and there seems to be an insane fire sale of great midfielders out of France right now because they're financially decimated, and you know our other saleable asset who wants to leave is Tonki and Dombele and if he really has suitors at Bayern Munich and Real Madrid who want to pay us some money for him as much as I will be very very upset to cut bait on a guy who I think has never really gotten the opportunity to show us how good he can be you know I think that makes sense looking at like what the market looks like this you sell this guy for some money you turn him into two or three or four you know cheap French midfielders who are really, really good, like Adley and Kamavinga and OR and Saar, you know, whatever. Um, Kane's still going to be worth a lot next summer, and we can deal with that problem down the road. Right now, what's available and what's a really good deal isn't strikers. So, yeah. I think the problem with the 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 French midfield contingent is – that aside from Camavinga, who, for the record, we've not been linked with at all, other than that there are reports that say he's available for $35 million, and we all go, well, yeah, sign him for that. Um, and Awar, who 
I think we've been tenuously linked with, but only really to They've say said that, we're like, monitoring Arsenal want him and then maybe Spurs also do. Like other than those two, the the other guys that we're talking about, Saar and Adley are less proven. Um, you know, Saar is 18 years old, not almost 19 years old, I think. Um, Adley is 20. Um, and while he is, you, you know, uh, they're both coming off seasons where they played a lot of minutes in in Ligue 1. And in Sar's case, they played for an, he played for an actually surprisingly good Mets team that was in uh, competition for European places until like very deep into the season. Uh, Adley played for a pretty shitty Bordeaux team. Um, you know, it, it, it's not going to be an easy transition for them. They're not going to come in and fix our midfield problems or, or fix any of the, you know, you know or, or be expected to fix any of the problems that Spurs as constructed have. And I think, I think if you sell like a player who could be the big solution to all your tactical issues in Harry Kane, you have to get also a big solution. I, and, and I don't know, maybe that's me being small minded about it or, or whatever, but I just think like, you know, you sell your best player and, you know, we've done this before. We we sold Bale or sold Elvis and bought the Beals, whatever. You know, we sold Bale, bought seven players. Two of them turned out to be OK. Um, I don't know that a volume approach to replacing Harry Kane is the way to go, even if we're not going to do like volume strikers. I think you need to take 80% of the Harry Kane money and spend it on replacing Harry Kane in a real way. Someone is producing goals. Like, like some sizable goal return, I feel like, has to be considered. You know, I think that this is going way far afield, but, like, the Bale 7 gets a lot of grief for, like, how it turned out. But, like, they were all, or not all, but, like, they were largely very smart signings, like, Roberto Soldado, if we're replacing Harry Kane, the Roberto Soldado we signed when we signed him is, like, exactly the kind of guy you want. A guy who scored 20 goals a season for, like, six straight seasons. You're like, you could not get more proven a goal scorer than that, and it didn't work, you know? Uh, so, like, ultimately the volume buy is what saved us. Is like Christian Eriksen for, like, 12 million pounds is what makes the Bale 7 a, a viable situation for us he became that you know star caliber player for cheap and like you know you get or for like a similar kind of deal even if stuff doesn't work out like there's still opportunities for these guys who profile very very well to be the guy who yeah maybe not next season fixes your team but like becomes the core that you can build around for the next generation of tottenham hospital so like I, you got to find the soldado and get it better than soldado but like you need to be reinforcing everywhere because you're never going to replace Harry Kane with a guy as good as Harry Kane. It's all about shoring up every weak link that as best you can with the money available. That's tough. But I think that, and, and that's part of where I think I'm, I think I'm at least at a little bit of a loss because the names we're talking about, let's assume those are the targets the club's looking at. I don't have a great feel for like, if we need to sell Harry Kane to get those guys, maybe we get all of them if we sell Harry Kane, but like, you look at how much money we've spent this year. I don't think you could confidently say that Spurs can't. I mean, it looks like we're going to get Sar. You know, if you told me Spurs could, like, reach into their pocket and get Adley and O.R., like, 
I, I don't think that would be the craziest thing in the world, especially if we end up selling Indomble. And I think one of the problems might even be, like, do you have room for all these guys in terms of where you want to play them? And, you know, obviously if Indomble goes, that's another midfield slot that opens up. But, you know, it's... it's I, I guess that's part of where I'm like, if you're selling Kane for that much money, that opens up opportunities for Spurs to spend that much money. And in theory, Spurs can spend more money than they otherwise would be able to. And I am, and again, it's not my job, so, and I'm sure if we talk to smart football people, they could find names that fit this category. I struggle to see who that is right now. Well, if we want a Roberto Soldado, we could sign uh, Alvaro Morata. Oh my God, please don't do that. I feel like that would be a direct reincarnation of Soldado, or the the Spurs version of Soldado. No, it would be worse, because you know exactly all the problems you're buying. <laughs> Can you imagine bringing Murata into, into a Spurs team, not only as a former Chelsea player, but also with all the pressure of replacing Harry Kane at Spurs, and what that's going to do? Like, oh my god. I, can't, that, like, I think he's largely fine. Like, yeah. That would be worse than buying, like... Thierry Henry, because you just know it would be a disaster. <laughs> but I mean, Murata would leave here in like a fucking paddy wagon to a padded cell somewhere because he would lose <laughs> his mind. I think. Um, I think we, we talked a lot about about that. I, I do want to say, uh, getting back to Kane, which is where this all started. I mean, Kane is clearly, I think, starting to smooth some stuff over because I think, regardless of how certain you think it is that he's staying, I think it is a much bigger possibility than it was a week or two ago i i don't know about you guys it's gonna like i don't say i'm never gonna warm back up to harry kane i don't know if it's ever gonna be the same i'm sure i will if he's scoring 30 goals a season i'll find it in my in me to forgive it to some extent because i do think and i think that's part of why kane burns some bridges i think if he doesn't get sold this year there's a decent chance he just ends up here for the rest of his playing career at least the prime of it because i think the, the game of musical chairs might just stop without a natural place for him to land. I'm sure I'd get over to an extent, but, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to look past all this. You know, I mean, how cynical it's been. You know, I don't want to overstate it. He's not, he's not Saul Campbell, at least not yet. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be hard because it's not just that he wants to leave. It's that, you know, I think he's been disrespectful to the fans in the way he wants to. I mean, he's flat out lied to us about a stupid vacation. You know, the insulting way he did those interviews. I mean, I... To some extent, I'll get over all this, but, you know, I liked him a lot more before all this, even though he wasn't my favorite Spurs player. So let's talk about who will be your favorite Spurs player. Adama Traore, who won't be. So we we are friends with a lot of very statistical-minded fellows who really like to stand for Adama Traore. And I have joked for a while that, like, karma would be Spurs signing him, so they're forced to watch him every single week. And have to like, because I think, I mean, my hesitation on signing Triori, I, I think, I think we got the entire Triori experience on Sunday. Like, he looks like, there are times you look at him and you're just like, holy shit, like, look at this guy. Like, no one can stop him. Like, he was blowing past our fullbacks, crashing through our midfield. Just, he's so physically intimidating. And, you know, he does a lot, like, with the ball at his feet. He does a lot that's really impressive. And then it's kind of like I said earlier, it's like when he gets to the final third, it's almost sort of like, oh, you want to shoot? You want to, like, pass it in the middle of the pitch? Like, go for it. So Show me what you can do, buddy. Like, Because he is, like, there's this limitation to the end of his game. So I guess my question to you, Ben, is would that change at all if you put him in a better team? 
you know, because I feel like there is an element where a guy like Traore thrives at a team like Wolves, which just caters to his talents, but maybe that's to his detriment, where if you made him work with better players, maybe there's better output. I don't think there is, but what do you think of that? I mean, you know, yeah, you want to believe you can fix him, but, like, he's not – it's not just better players. Like, he needs a better coach, if anything, and, like, well, he's getting the same. good thing <laughs> – yeah, and I think and I love Adama Traore. I like he's so fun to watch. Like those runs are just devastatingly brutal when he just like chucked Skip onto the ground and just blasted through midfield. Like that's awesome. Like that is like the kind of stuff that gets you sitting up out of your seat. But you know, yeah, he doesn't have a very uh, good final ball. He's not much of a passer. Not much of a shooter. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, you can see why we want him. If if Nuno's whole game plan is get it to the guy who can run fast in a straight line, there is nobody on earth who is better at running fast in a straight line. You know, we, Spurs as a team had 17 progressive carries against Wolves. Adama had 16 on his own. You know, it's just like that's if that's how you want to attack. That's the guy to do it because that's what he does, and he does it phenomenally. It's just you want that guy to have other skills, and at 25 years old, it's looking increasingly unlikely that those are skills that he's going to develop. You know, it's like I, I, like if we sign him, like it'll be fun and stupid, but it's not going to be like great. <laughs> But part of the reason he's so fun to watch is because you don't get personally invested when he shoots it straight to Hugo Lloris's knee. Like, you know, it's 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 all the, it's all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff because you don't really care. Like, unless they're playing Arsenal or something, you don't really care if Wolves blows a chance. I don't know. My favorite thing about him is that Wikipedia lists him at five ten, one fifty nine. No, um, no way. If he weighs 159 pounds, then I weigh about 430. <laughs> um, like, I, I think one of his arms is is 159. Like, he's an enormous man. Like, I, you know, I I like him for just like the uniqueness and the weirdness that he brings, but. I don't want to pay 40 million pounds for well, it. Well, that's part of it. I think we would all be much more on board with this if it was like 20 million pounds for Adama Traore. It's like, all right, especially if we're like, swap. like, if you told me like, yeah, pay 20 million and we're going to fuck Lucas off and like, we're just going to swap him out. Like, I don't know if that's like the ideal, like, way we should be playing, but I'll, t- I'll take Traore over Lucas. <laughs> yeah, but if you're telling me it's like, oh, well, you know, um, Camavinga is 35 million and and Traore is is forty, like and they both equally wanted to come to Spurs, which for the record, Camavinga does not want to come to Spurs. <laughs> he wants to go to Manchester United. Um, yeah, then then I would I'd be like, why are we wasting our money like this? And I definitely don't want to waste like the Harry Kane sale money to bring in Adama Traore, who is not going to either create shots or take shots like that's not he's not bringing he is actually probably actively taking away shots from our attack like he will do the progression stuff but you know fair play to lucas he does take shots and he will occasionally play a decent final ball um yeah lucas will have a game where he might score you a hat trick 
Like, say whatever else you want about Lucas. I think I've been reminded on several occasions. No, but not even the game I'm thinking of. Like, he will do that against, like, Manchester United occasionally. (laughs) Like, I mean, Lucas, it does have a decent final ball some of the time. Which, I mean, in a lot of ways, he's the opposite of Traore. Yeah. I mean, if Traore really just, like, dribbled the ball into the back of the net, he'd probably be much better. Like, all he had to do was, like, ball roll around Hugo and then just walk it into the net, and he would have scored that goal. But he didn't. He tried to shoot, and that was bad. Yeah, he doesn't make great choices. Like on, it's like it's like that Musa Dembele thing where like you just w- want him to just like go to the box and just dribble in circles until you someone fouls you, and that is like a much better, you know, opportunity for scoring a goal than like actually taking a shot. Um, yeah. But there is something about like, and I, I, I we've watched a game where like Ben Davies is just owned him for 90 minutes so like I, I don't want to pretend like it's something we've seen but there is something about like you watch him take on Tanganga who's raw and new and you know not not uh, the most experienced right back but there is part of your brain that goes like who can stop this guy like like because there's no one in the Premier League who's got that kind of physicality they might be faster than him but like you know he can definitely just put his shoulder down and knock anybody over so there is part of you that watches a performance like we had on Sunday and just you know, even with the lack of final product, you just think like, "Oh well, fuck it, let's let's just try it." Who knows? But I mean, like he makes. Saw, I say we saw a week ago Tanganga up against the second best dribbling guy in the Premier League, and Jack Grealish, and he made him look like an infant and like manhandled him all over the pitch, and then he was on the receiving end of that exact same treatment. So yeah, but like, Jack Grealish doesn't like get in shape to fight Rocky Balboa. I mean... <laughs> I say, like, he was perfectly capable of, like, defending a guy like Grealish and was not even slightly capable of defending Adama. I just don't think there are a lot of fullbacks in the Premier League that are capable of defending Adama. And, like, yeah, you, you, we can say that, like, Ben Davies did a good job in one match against him, but, like... I... I think that was more of a fluke than anything well uh, yes and no i mean there's a reason adam is still on wolves i mean some of that's because they overvalue him but some of it's because he hasn't taken that step he hasn't learned to pass he hasn't learned to like shoot or at least pass well enough or shoot well enough i mean but you know there is something i mean i don't know if spurs were chelsea if we had chelsea's money i'd say let's just buy him so we never have to play him again. <laughs> i mean that's what that's what city should do with son they should just buy him so they never have to see him again yeah he might not create anything, but he scared the shit out of me for about ninety minutes on Sunday. Yeah, I think that's the that's the the thing that excites me. Like, if if I have to get excited about the Adama Traore transfer, that is the thing. Is like he is dangerous and he does do cool shit. Like he like basically suplexed Oliver Skip at one point, and it was awesome. <laughs> like you know, and if it hadn't if that had happened to you know, Oliver Skip playing for Norwich. I'd have been like, oh, shit, that was awesome. But because it was against us, I was like, oh, my God, we're so awful. Um, you know, so... Yeah, if he does it to, like, Xhaka or something, like, you know, we're, he'll be a legend He'll be a legend for us and we'll never... We'll ignore all the other performances. I mean, of anybody we're going to sign this summer, he has the most potential to replace Eric Lamella for the oft-injured but occasionally amazing, you know, cult hero. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, he's scary. He's not dangerous, you know? Like, he's, like, absolutely terrifying. But, like, it's like, a, oh, my God, a ghost! Oh, wait, ghosts can't hurt me? That, okay. 
Like, that's fine. Well, I can deal with that. I think it's the, interesting that he and Lamella are scary in different ways. Like, Lamella <laughs> would actually hurt you. And, like, whereas, whereas Adama would just try to, you know, attempt to football hurt you, um, but eventually not succeed. I mean, the funny slash sad thing about this is if we had a coach like Pochettino, if we even had Mourinho, like any other manager, I might be able to talk myself into like, he'll be used differently. It could, like, maybe he'll find a different way to employ his skill set. But because it's Nuno, like, who admittedly knows him well, and there's probably some benefits to that. But like, because it's Nuno, it, there's, there's, and I'm not even being down on Nuno when I say this. Is like, we just know the exact ways in which Nuno has used him. And I'm sure that Nuno would have different ideas for how to use him at Tottenham. But I don't think... I think for us, if we were going to see, over the years, a guy like Traore on our team, we would want to see him employed a little differently. Even if it's probably not going to work. We would. That's what we would want to see if we were buying him. I just don't think any of us have faith that that's what we'll see under Nuno. Which is, you know, no comment on Nuno's other... Talents, potential talents as Spurs manager, but yeah, it's just that that's the sad thing about it. There's not there's nothing to sort of dream on in terms of maybe he'll be used differently. He's used him for three years. He knows exactly what he's doing with him, and it's it's that. But I mean, he did have a season where he had four goals and nine assists, which is not terrible. Like that's a pretty Lucasy season. And it's you know it is a different set of players, most of whom are better than Wolves. Like I, I've heard a lot of really insulting podcasts talk about like Wolves. Which are like you know slightly worse than Spurs over the last few years. I'm like okay, let's like we're a little bit better than that. But you know like I don't know maybe there would be a difference. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. I I just I feel like there there's better things we could do with forty million. I agree. Well, forty million I think it's is ridiculous. If if you told me we were going to buy him for twenty or twenty five, it's like I still think there's better ways to use that money, but it's a little less egregious i'd feel better if i knew any if i had any feel for what our operating budget was this summer because like I mean, it's very much a harry kane thing he's more adama is more valuable to wolves than he is to most other clubs and so we're gonna have to pay through the nose for him and so we just have to decide like does nuno need his binky that badly or can we create a functional uh you know ball progression system out of you know other adama like substances. Well, I guess we're going to find right. out. We play Watford this week. I mean, I don't think we play Paco de Ferreira, Pacho de Ferreira on uh, Thursday. We got a 1-0 lead to sort of claw back. I think we're probably going to see some better players than we saw last week. Our utter lack of respect for them didn't pay off. Uh, but I don't think we're going to learn anything from that match. I hope we learn a lot from our match against Watford uh, because, you know, we, we're not Arsenal. We should be able to take it to, the, to a newly promoted side, at least somewhat. Um... But here's hoping we have something new to talk about next week, guys. I mean, I feel like lost in all this that we're still at the top of the table. Like, you know, uh, we're, we're we're doing well results wise. I think it's hard to argue that it's it's we were probably a little down on the Wolves' performance, more down than we should have been. It is it is Nuno's like I guess technically his third game in charge of Spurs. It's you know it's early days. I mean, did either of you think we'd come out of these first two fixtures with six points? No. Or were you like, no. one? Well, one will be good. We'll be okay with one point. I thought three, but yeah, I get, I grant your, I grant your point. Yeah, I mean, we've been in the bargaining stage of grief for a while, so you know, I think now we're in the delusion phase. Is that is that one of them? Look, you know, 
just rack up as many points as we can until we play Chelsea, and then and then we start over with easy teams when we play Arsenal in the next one. So look, the important things, the two important things to really hold on to as Spurs fans are: we've taken maximum points so far. We've looked better than we thought. Okay, three things: we look better than we thought, and Charlie Kane's had a really bad couple of weeks. And I honestly, that that really is the most important thing. It's an important thing. That's actually, I'll end on this note. The weird thing about the Kane sales, like, I'm very out on Harry Kane. I really don't like him very much. I'm very angry at him. But part of me doesn't want the sale to go through purely out of spite. Like, not because I want to keep Kane around, just because I don't want to see him get the move that he and his idiot brother want so badly. <laughs> Which is a very healthy way to look at it all. I think... Go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say, I think the dumbest thing that has come out of this summer is that people now have to acknowledge the existence of Trump. <laughs> and then the fact that we have to pretend to discuss him uh, in any sort of intelligent way or, like, address his weird attire and even dumber office. Like, <laughs> I, I can't believe that we all of us as podcasters, not just us, it's every football podcast. All the big ones, Football Weekly, Football Ramble, they all have to talk about Charlie Kane. They all say the same things. They all make fun of the same shit. I don't know why we all have been forced to do this. Like, we didn't have to. It didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to. We could have just been talking about how football is corrupt and the game's gone and the city can just buy all the good players. Or we could have been blaming Daniel Levy. But instead, we've had to talk about this fucking moron. Uh, for the last th- two months, like uh, it's the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> ben, you have any final thoughts? No, I just think it's weird that like I now hate Harry Kane, and the best way to demonstrate my hate for Harry Kane is to make him stay and play for. <laughs> it is weird. It is weird. I fucking hate you. I hope you're here for the rest of your productive career. <laughs> You'll never be happy, and also you'll never make me happy. Now score, I hope that makes it. Now score 30 goals anyway, you bitch. Yeah. On that note, it is finally time to wrap it up. This has been a long one, boys. Uh, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Benjamin, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter sharing all my thoughts about Oliver Skip's wonderful performance <laughs> at Comrade you Spurs. I, I, I'm not going to say you shouldn't look at Ben's Twitter account, listeners, but you should probably not look at his thoughts about Oliver Skip, or at least the threads that they're in. And I can be found at Skipjack0079. Don't forget to follow our podcast feed, WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Ben, for Brian, for Charlie Kane, and for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Uh, come on, you Spurs. <laughs>